And they'll be called to the set in just a moment. Safe. Away, Freeman out well, a mighty roar. Australian Samantha Stozer in straight sets is the champion of the United States Open. Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. It is the bench on joy, the regular voices of Beck and Dave for episode, is it, what is it, episode nine? Episode nine, although to be fair, Dave, you could be for cute. Confused. You could, I'm confused. You should. You could be. <laughs> Becky's on fire. Let's just let's just have a little chat about last week. Well, we had. Let's just say that we had in the world of industry of entertainment, it is technical issues. But let's just say last week was an absolute Mitch Marsh. Let's be it honest. It was an absolute Mitch oh, Marsh. Oh wow! But look, we're, <laughs> we're back, Dave. We're better than ever. Don't let my intro fool you. I'm excited. Another week of sport. Here we go. Episode nine, and I, well, you know what? I simply cannot do it without the delightful, wonderful, entertaining, fantastic, diva-like co-host, Beckdale. Welcome to the bench. I'm such a diva that I'll literally never get bored of you saying that. (laughs) Oh, just a $20 note this week. Yeah, well, you know, it's close to Christmas. Times are tough. Times are tough. Times are tough. Uh, anyway, we've got we've got a big show. We've got a massive show coming up. Huge, some might three, say. Three guests coming up. The Aussies were down in the first test on Monday. It was a little bit of a fizzer towards the end. I feel like the Australian cricket team just got our hopes up just a little bit, just to twist with our emotions they during that day on the day five. And we got so close downing. What did we do? 31 runs, I think it was. We yeah. went down by on Monday. And I liked got, it, though. It was, I liked it. It was a good test to watch. Entertaining. Corbin Middlemass from the ABC is going to be joining us to uh, talk a little bit about Adelaide, but then also uh, forecast to Friday's big test at Perth. Um, we've got Scott Gowans, the AFRW coach for the Kangaroos, who are entering the season, season 2019 as their first. Brand new team, Expansion Club, as they say. Yeah, alongside my Cats, mm, who are also playing their first meow, season. Meow. Jodie Hawkins from the Sydney Sixers, the general manager. She'll be popping in. Or popping on the line, shall I say. Talk all about uh, inclusion in the Big Bash and encouraging rainbow families to get along, which is great. So I'm looking very much forward to hearing all about that. Question without notice, Beck, do you have one? No, no, nothing? My question without notice is this, Dave. If you won the Brownlow medal for the best player in the AFL, yep. would you thank me in your speech? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Because you know what it's time for, David. It's time for the Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. NBA news, Rebecca Dell. Indeed, Australian NBA superstar Matthew Delavadova is on his way home to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh. The NBA championship winner was a key part of a multi-player trade between his current team, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Cavs on Saturday. Cleveland was the club that he made his debut with in 2013. And to be quite frank with you, David, they are among the worst teams in the league this season Ooh, following ouch. LeBron James's move to the Lakers and the loss or trade of several other 
veteran stars. I'm a Cavs fan myself, Dave. I own three Guernseys, and if that's not commitment, I don't know what it is, so I'm very pleased to have Delhi back. Uh, I, I always keep forgetting that you're a Cavs fan. Now, my young nephew, Jet, loves the colour green. Boston Celtics. He loves the Boston Celtics now. Go. That's on his uh, wish list ah. for Santa. So anyway. Maybe um, Uncle Dave could buy oh, that. $150 if you go to the uh, website. Anyway, might get mm. something that I've just come up from the uh, one of those markets, the fake ones. Yeah. Uh, the men's cricket team is not the only team under fire, the Wallabies. Now, we used to be, you know how we remember the days when we used to be so good at cricket, we used to be so good at tennis and so good at rugby? Those days are well, actually, I, I remember when I was in year six, we lived in Sydney and the Wallabies were like a massive thing. That was in the early 90s and there was this TV ad and it, and it said, what do you want to be? A Wallaby. And we all used to all sing it. But you know what I don't want to be now, Dave? A Wallaby. <laughs> Current and former senior administrators have accused Rugby Australia of lacking a long-term strategy less than 12 months out from the Wallabies taking part in the World Cup in Japan. Critics say the problems at the top of the game with the Wallabies can be traced back to a lack of junior development and a coherent strategy mm. to support rugby union's grassroots retired Australian international and current president of Sydney Club Eastwood Brett Papworth is among the most outspoken critics um, he said that the uh, when you have a head office you can jump over in reference to their million million staff members and amid, amid admin costs um, and only 150 professional players as he reckons that maybe a little bit too much money is going to the uh, the men in suits and the women in suits mm. now Dave some really sad news coming out of the AFL this week Carlton has confirmed their Co-captain Sam Doherty ruptured his ACL during a training session on Monday morning. Apparently it was a very innocuous incident, but he immediately underwent scans, which delivered the bad news. He first injured that same knee last November and missed the entirety of last mm. season, so he'll be out again for 2019, which is really sad for him and, and really bad for Carlton, who, let's be honest, struggle at the best of times. Had a magnificent year in 2017, winning their best and fairest yep. and... Uh, you know, Paddy Cripps needs a lot of support at that Kelton side and Doherty was expected to be that man in that 2019 season. Some people just don't get the run of the mill, do they? They don't. So best of luck to you, Sammy. Yes, and best of luck to the Matildas next year. Women's World Cup, it will be in France and the draw is out. We've, we've uh, set to face old rivals Brazil which is a little bit of an issue, but mm. I reckon we can overcome. And we've got Italy and Jamaica, who have also had a fantastic uh, qualifying uh, period. Matilda's lost to Brazil at the Rio Olympic Games, so we'll be uh, you know, seeking a bit of revenge there against mm. the Brazilians. And uh, going to our neighbours, well, I like to say just another state of Australia, really. New Zealand yet to make the knockout stages at the World Cup are in Group E with Canada, European champions of the Netherlands and Cameroon. The tournament kicks off on June 7, when first-time hosts France play the opening match against South Korea in Paris, with Lyon hosting the final on July 7. Oui, oui. Big what, Rugby World Cup, Soccer World Cup, we've got everything covered. Well, you know what else it was, Dave? It was another huge round of WBBL on the weekend. That competition is just going strength to strength, I reckon, riding off the back of the uh, Women's T20 World Cup. But our Melbourne Stars went down in a 72-run loss to the Hobart Hurricanes. In fact, the Hurricanes compiled the third biggest score in WBBL history with a total of six for 196. Our other team, local team, the Renegades, had one win and one draw in two games against the Adelaide Strikers over the weekend. They won a dramatic contest on Saturday as Claire Kosky hit a four off the last ball of the match in Melbourne, very reminiscent of that Michael Bevan Ooh, shot some yes. years ago. On Sunday, however, the Lightning brought rain, win, and an abandoned game ending in a draw. Mm. That was in downtown Ballarat. Mm. Boo. Come on, Ballarat, fix your game, guys. 
Um, Elise Perry making that 100 last week as well. That was huge. But you know how good it is to see the women's cricket team after winning the World Cup in the Caribbean to all of a sudden be so accessible down at the Junction Oval, North Sydney Oval, and seeing Love them it. playing some fantastic cricket in the Big Bash. And the uh, the men's Big Bash is not too far away either starting this weekend. We'll see if they can keep up with the girls, Dave. Coming up on tonight's show, Corbin Middlemass from the ABC, Scott Gowans from the AFW side, Kangaroos, and Jodie Hawkins from the Sydney Sixers. You're listening to The Bench on Joy. Joy, joy, joy. Joy, joy. You listen to the bench on Joy. The Aussie men's cricket team fell short by 31 runs in the first test, and all eyes are on Perth. We're joined by on the line by ABC broadcaster Corbin Middlemass. Welcome back to the bench. Thanks for having me, Dave. How are you, back? Good, good. Now, yeah. what a what a five. It's good to have five days of cricket first of uh, Australia versus India. Yeah, it was a great test match. I think it, uh, there was enough in it the whole way through. Really, for the first three days, the momentum continued to swing, and then the side that was four for 40 on the first day really healthy ascendancy, uh, really it's a prohibitive favourite. I think that was a short with some bookmakers as a dollar ten favourite going into the final day. Uh, and the Australians gave them a little bit of a fright. I think there were moments on that last day when you were watching on Monday thinking, well, are they going to get there? Sort of when they got within 70 and then the last wicket got uh, dropped below 50 at one point and you thought they might just be such a silly chance, they might be such a silly chance here. Um, and then all of a sudden, as he so often does, Ravi Ashman steps up claims what proved to be the uh, the match feeling wicket. Uh, Josh Hazelwood departed and from there India go one ahead in the series. It's the first time ever in 11 trips that India's been touring down under uh, that they start the series with a victory. So um, a huge boost for the tourists who, uh, who haven't won here yet. They haven't won a series in these parts uh, having first travelled here in the late 40s. Yeah, it was sad to watch, and you know, we were all cheering on the Aussies, and we thought maybe we might have a cricket team that we could be proud of for a moment. <laughs> Did you think at the stage with Tim Payne at the crease, you just thought that you know this is the moment that Australians will be talking about for a while? I thought it was just all set up for a movie ending where Tim Payne will be the hero, you know, captain of the Australian cricket team. Yeah, they're not a great side. They're not a great team, uh, a great Australian team. In fact, they're probably one of the poorer sides that we've put out there. Um, and I think we have very high expectations of them to go out there and, and be great. Um, they reached forward against an Indian team who, oh, I don't think this is the strongest Indian side that we've seen down under, but it is certainly their best chance to win. They've got a generational player in Virat Kohli, uh, and as you said, you know Tim Payne, who's um, really almost there for his character more so than anything else. He is a fine gloveman. You could make the argument he's not the best keeper batsman in the country, and yet for a guy who forged his way in 12 months ago just to make it in the team, and it was such a shock when he got there, now be captaining the side and carrying those pressures, he got hit on the finger back on Monday as well, which will uh, obviously he downplayed that immediately in the aftermath. But um, it is obviously cause for concern given the, the problems that he's had with that finger previously and, and missed such a uh, such a chunk of cricket. So um, uh, it, it depends on sort of where your expectations were of the team. I think going in, but uh, to chase down 323 would have been a mammoth chase. Uh, and in the end, I think we sort of look back on the test and think, well, they were competitive for large parts. They lost by a narrow margin in the end. Uh, and if they can clean up a couple of areas of their game, you would think that they would be uh, they'll be closer in Perth. Well, Corbin, I guess looking at the Aussies with the bat, Justin Lang is um, being quite honest in saying that he's still, I guess, trying to make the top three work. But if we even look at, I guess, the top six, what do you think they need to do to turn it around in Perth? Yeah, it's such a difficult challenge for them. Um, a lot of them are new to Test cricket. Obviously, Marcus Harris at the top of the order, Aaron Finch, although he's been around the international stage for a long time, not in the Test arena. Uh, Peter Hanscom's coming back. So uh, all of them, uh, you just feel like watching them play that they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. None of them look relaxed at the crease 
probably um, barring Usman Kawaja, but the other five just look like they're all playing for their spot every time they go out there. And, and as we've seen through the history of the game, that's not conducive to be playing um, or to play this style of game, given the other pressures and the, the difficulty that's involved. And being a batsman in you know in long form cricket, you only need to make one mistake and uh, and it's the end of the uh, it's the end of your innings, and, and obviously can swing the match quite dramatically. There were two stats which stood out to me in the game in particular. There was no partnership over 50. And I think that's absolutely critical that in test cricket, we often hear that if a wicket falls, it's all about building partnerships, batting together and batting for a significant period of time. And for the Australians, they weren't able to string a single partnership together over 50 in that final innings. And the other one was that there was a record number of catches taken in this match. So there was 35 catches taken in the first test, which is more than any other test in history as far as the mode of dismissal goes. Now, that probably indicates one thing, that the batsmen are getting themselves out, that basically it wasn't a wicket where there was a lot of bold and LBW decisions like we see on some of the tracks in the subcontinent where uh, the ball's turning and, and really you're getting beaten by the bowler on such a um, such a ridiculously good dismissal. You look at those top six dismissals in particular and, and the, the four which fell on the evening of day four, I thought all of them were regrettable. Aaron Finch, uh, by the replay, proved that he wasn't out and he didn't refer and as a result that cost him his wicket. Marcus Harris trying to play this square drive. We saw him do that for Victoria in shield cricket in the second innings. Uh, again, sneaking up to the keeper. And I know he scores a lot of runs with that shot, but it looks horrible when he gets out in that fashion. Usman Kawaja dancing down the track to the spinner, trying to loft uh, Ashwin down the ground, holds out in the deep. Never looks good when that happens. Uh, and the other one's Pete Hanscom, who missed, uh, skews a, a pull shot and plays mm. straight to the mid-wicket fielder. So uh, they're, all, they're all really bad dismissals. And, and you wouldn't say that any of them are... Uh, through high-quality bowling, although India did bowl well and were able to, to build the pressure, really their, their errors uh, and almost unforced errors to, to borrow a term from tennis made by the batsmen. There's probably a fair bit to work on with our top six and uh, the, the issues that you addressed there are obviously things that Justin Langer want to try and work towards uh, the Friday test in Perth, but can we see the top six staying around for the long term? Is there enough potential for them to get to the, uh, to the Melbourne test, the third test? Yeah, I'm an unabashed Marcus Harris fan, so uh, I think he's the goods, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to follow his career sort of the whole way through, and um, I think he's worth persisting with. It was sort of early Marcus Harris with uh, his two performances in Adelaide. Uh, he sort of flirted with you a little bit and showed glimpses of, of what he was capable of with, uh, with 26 in both innings and wasn't able to convert either of them into big scores. Um, I'll be interested to see what the messaging is internally because you look at it as I sort of touched on previously, externally, it looks like every single player is playing for their spot in the team. Now, uh, I'd hope that they would have been given some sort of assurance that, say, for guys like Travis Head and Pete Hanscom, for example, and even Sean Marsh, who's been moved up and down the batting order continuously, that they would just say, look, we're going to stick with these guys for four tests. We're going to give them a run at it on their home soil. Um, it's not as if that you're holding out any star player in shield cricket at the moment. Nobody's knocking down the door. You can make your cases for your Renshaws and your Burns or your Mitch Marshes all you like, but none of them are, are going to make a fool out of you by the numbers that they produce. So um, I'm not someone for constant change. I would, regardless of what happens in Perth, I'd like to see these guys uh, make it through to, to Melbourne and at least give them some continuity to be able to keep that top six together and, and try to build partnerships amongst themselves. The biggest talking point with the top six is obviously Aaron Finch at the top of the order, who uh, a lot of people don't consider him being an opener, even for his stateside Victoria. Now, you, you say about sticking uh, with players for a couple of tests. Have we actually made a mistake on Aaron Finch initially? Yeah, I, I know, to be fair, and this isn't in hindsight, I was also in that camp where I didn't believe 
he was an opener. He hasn't been an opener for Victoria for three years. Uh, if you follow your Shield cricket, you'll know that. They've been a very successful team, the Vicks. Uh, and he's been an integral part to it, playing in the middle order and, and captaining those, that team on numerous occasions. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of him in the middle order, but uh, knowing Justin Langer and knowing the way that he is, and I worked in Perth for, for five years with, uh, with Justin as the, the coach of the state team, uh, it's very unlike Justin to think that he's going to turn around and, and change the batting order uh, after one test. And given the fact that, uh, that Aaron didn't have a great start, oh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him open again in Perth and they give him another opportunity um, and I think, yeah, I, I doubt Justin's going to make the change given the noise that was made in the lead-up and the amount of discussion that was had about should he be an opener, should he be a middle-order batsman. They obviously had the standoff with the Victorian state team when he went back and played uh, that lead-up game before the, the first test in Adelaide. So uh, I'd be shocked if they if they move Finch in the, in the batting order. It's, it's not where I'd have him, but um, Justin Langer's forgotten more cricket than I'll ever know. So uh, he's obviously onto something, and, and he likes him at the top in his team. Now, we are talking with ABC broadcaster Corbin Middlemass. Now, Corbin, Dave thinks I'm far too harsh on the Marsh brothers. We've had quite a bit of discussion about this. What's your view on the whipping boys of Australian cricket? And will either or both of them play in the next test? Yeah, I think Sean's been really hard done by over a long period of time. Um, he's, he's sort of been that Shane Watson-type role where he's been the most maligned player in the team for large periods, but he's also been... Uh, the stopgap for things that go wrong. So when the opener went down, uh, I think it was Chris Rogers who got hurt in South Africa, they put him up to the top, and all of a sudden he had to become the opener. He went all the way down to six, then he was at three, then he was at five. He's never been able to have one solid position in the batting lineup, and he has produced uh, scores in the past, and particularly on Australian pitches, to, to win test matches or to save test matches for Australia, which I think goes unnoticed. And, and the Marsh boys, I think, given that they are almost a package deal or this two-headed monster in the Australian team, for such a long period, they sort of wear each other's criticism along the way. Mm. I think if you look at them at two separate entities, I'm a big fan of Sean Marsh, and I think when there's not a heap of batting talent around, we know what he's capable of. He's played you know, 15, 16, 17 years now of first-class cricket. Uh, he's a really valuable asset in that team and, and going to Perth, and I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't score um, some runs at some stage in the, the next two test matches. Mitch, on the other hand, uh, Australian cricket are desperate for him to come off Unfortunately, he's been the biggest tease, I think, in Australian cricket now for really his whole career. He's, he's no spring chicken. He's 27 years of age. He's been in the system now playing first-class cricket for a decade. He's averaged in the high 20s, which is what he was averaging when they picked him in the test team to begin with and just hoped that the step up in the level that he would all of a sudden match that and become the player that he'd always sort of uh, teased us to be. And yet that hasn't been the case. He's gone back to Shield cricket this week and, and missed out in both innings in the, the last Shield game before the, the big bash rolls around. So, um, yeah, I don't think they should be rushing Mitch Marsh back into the team for the sake of having an all-rounder. If, if the four quicks or the, the four bowlers that you've got, the three quicks and the, the greatest off-spinner in the world at the moment in Nathan Lyon can't get you 10 wickets, there's no point having um, a bowler who isn't quite at the level and a batsman who isn't quite at the level either. And, and they've given Mitch Marsh plenty of opportunities. And unfortunately for Mitch, to this point in his career, he hasn't been able to take them. Well, Corbin, I wish you and Dave all the best of luck in starting your Marsh Brothers Apologist Society. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 50% there. I'm halfway there. Yeah, I'm about 48. I'm slipping at every minute, I think, at the well, moment. Well, I am definitely not joining. Now, Corbin, you, you watch yeah, but, a, you watch a fair bit of uh, Shield but, cricket. Is there is there another all rounder in Australia that could compete for that number six spot if the Australian opt to go for an extra bowler? Yeah, look, everyone tries to tell me about Marcus Stoinis. Uh I'm not in that camp either. He's 
a guy who hasn't scored 100 now in Shield cricket, dating back, I think, two and a half years. He obviously spent time in Victoria and plays for the, the Melbourne Stars over there. He's now back in, uh, in, his, in his native WA. But um, I know he got runs in the most recent game and they've looked for every opportunity possible to try and pick him uh, to get him into the squad at, at some stage. He obviously had such an unfortunate circumstance on a personal front last year when it looked as if he was on the verge of test selection and had to sit out of a game for, uh, for personal reasons. But uh, since then, he hasn't set the world on fire. And I find that really hard to pick players that are out of form to put them in the team for the sake of having an all-rounder when if we haven't got one, we haven't got one. They are a luxury in, in world cricket. Uh, certainly they were in the past. And, and we were spoiled for so long to have the likes of Shane Watson and Andrew Simons and... Um, and Marcus North even and those sort of players that, that are able to, to bat at six and be able to bowl and give you that extra option um, unfortunately for Australian cricket I don't think we have that at the moment so you're better off playing five or six recognised batsmen, uh, four or five recognised bowlers um, and at least go in with, uh, with, with quality in those departments rather than trying to pick a, a sort of hybrid version of both who, who doesn't quite measure up Now Corbin there's a big summer of sport ahead in Australia, where can we find you and what are you going to be covering? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of the WBBL at the moment. So I was at uh, North Sydney Oval on the weekend watching uh, watching the, the second weekend of the WBBL. Uh, and it looks like a really exciting competition. So the first weekend complete, and there's one game separating the, the top of the table, Sydney Sixers, and the bottom of the table, Perth Scorchers. And those two teams have actually played one another in uh, in the last two finals in the in the women's big bash. Uh, and like I said, there the gap between the best and the worst team in the competition, which I think in the first three years has been rather wide, uh, certainly from the, the small sample size that we've seen in the, the fourth version of the Big Bash, there's nothing between these teams. So um, really exciting uh, stage of the, the tournament early on to, to try and pick uh, exactly who the better teams are and who are the weaker teams. I, I don't think there's going to be much between the, the top and the bottom throughout the entire tournament. Love your work, Corbin, and the, obviously the Women's Big Bash is absolutely firing, but we will be looking at Perth and hopefully, hopefully, just hopefully, that the uh, <laughs> the Aussies can bounce back and, and, and make it one all. Uh, thanks for, so much for joining us on the bench and uh, giving us uh, insight into the your cricket knowledge. Uh, new stadium, new wicket. It's just going to be a great unknown over there as to what we're going to get from the Australian team. So um, we could be 2-0 down and uh, sort of dragging our tails by the time we get to Boxing Day or, Boxing Day or, or who knows, we'll have a bit of a spring in our step if, uh, if things go our way. So we'll, uh, we'll wait and see what happens out west. Lots to look forward to, and we look forward to chatting to you again, Corbin. Anytime. Thanks, Cheers. Bye. That was Corbin Middlemass, ABC broadcaster. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Bench on Joy 94.9. Kangaroos will be fielding a team in the AFLW for the first time in season 2019 and joining us now to tell us how they're shaping up is a coach Scott Gowans. Welcome to the bench Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Now you're appointed as the AFL coach just over 12 months ago. What have the last 12 months involved for you? Yeah it's been a, a lot of hard work really by a lot of people not just me but um, basically I've been full-time and then I've been able to um, I suppose put my input into the list management and and everything like that, and the admin side of it, but more so the coaching as well. But the good thing is there's also been other people that have um, sort of a little bit better in those areas with Reese Harwood in the list management, Laura Kane in the admin, using their expertise. And I think the good thing with doing it that way is that we've all had input, but everyone that sort of has control of their own area. Um, so really just putting the whole program together and, and coming up with a strategy that we hopefully will give us some um, success. Now the preseason's up and running now. How's the uh, how's the team looking? Yeah, really good. We're really healthy, which is great. So we've uh, four weeks 
or just finished the, the fourth week and into the fifth week of um, training. Um, I had a camp on the weekend down in Hobart, which was great to get everyone together. And um, and really, other than Daria Bannister that's coming back from her ACL injury, um, nearly finished her 12 months, um, everyone's really healthy. I mean, the Kangaroos had some massive signings in the off-season, no less than the best player in last year's comp, Emma Carney, but you've got a whole host of other big names, Caitlin Ashmore, Mo Hope, just to name a very bit of skin off the top of a deep list. Yeah. But what do you think the experience those girls have had at their other clubs will bring to the Kangaroos next year? Yeah, it's interesting. It's all the players that have played, so 50% of the list have played AFLW and 50% of the list haven't. Um, even the ones that haven't, bring a lot of, um, I suppose, fresh ideas because they're not tarnished, I suppose, or um, influenced by other things. So it's, it's a really good mix. It's been interesting because the, the ones that have come from the other clubs have said, this is what we like, this is what we didn't like. And the things um, were very different at each club, So, which was probably a bit of an eye-opener because obviously I was at Carlton as an assistant coach in AFLW1, um, so I had that experience. But you just, uh, I suppose it's, the old story, you don't know until you're actually inside a club what it's like, and I found it um, interesting to hear what goes on at other clubs, for good and for bad, um, and you know, our program, I suppose, has got a little bit of each club, which is the great thing about an expansion club, because it's exactly the way you should do it. You should take the, the good and the bad and, and try and manufacture it as best you can for your own way. Um, so it's been a very interesting exercise doing that, and I've, I found it really enjoyable. Now, you mentioned you were the assistant coach at Carlton in their first season. What are the, some of the things you've taken from that experience of already being in the league that you'll be able to bring to the Roos? Yeah, I think just getting over the more the emotional side of it. I found it, yeah, that, that game one was, was unbelievable. I remember yeah, clearly walking around the boundary with Jane Lange, and who's now assistant at Melbourne. And um, Jane, we walked out the race together, the girls had already run on the field walking around the boundary and she's in tears <laughs> and I sort of said to her, you're right she said, she said, yeah, just give me a minute and she walked all the way around the boundary to go up to the box and we couldn't even get up to the coach's box because the aisles were full of people and um, got up and I, I kind of got it why she was had tears in her eyes and I remember getting up the top of the stairs and actually said thank you to her because it's for people like that um, that have actually given people like me the opportunity in AFLW Um so the emotion, I think, is the number one thing from a playing perspective um, and a coaching perspective that you just need to, I suppose, almost find a balance with it. It's great to have, but it can also use a lot of energy as well. So more so than the kicks, marks, handballs, I think that sort of um, uh, philosophy around that of emotional control, if you like, is really important. And there was so much emotion that first game. I mean, I remember that vividly. I think I'm a cold, heartless wench, but even I had a little tear that day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was. It was a very special moment, and I think um, anyone who's at the ground um, will hold on to that forever. And um, Yeah, and it, it, it did make me... I quite often reflect on that moment um, when I speak about it because it, it really did take me back at just how much it meant to so many people. Um, I think that's very special. And and talking about the kangaroos, the kangaroos obviously got a big history of the term that they use, the shin bonus spirit. Is that something that we can expect from the AFW team as well? I think so. We we actually did that on the weekend. So we took, um, we tried to create our own pathway, if you like, and our own set of values. And um, we we the girls were really really keen on having the shin bonus spirit as part of their culture as well. 
but they wanted to find out a little bit more about it. And that that spirit is, you know, it's really like it's never been never been beaten. But what does that mean? Like, so the girls needed to interpret that and come up with their own set of values and um, never been beaten. Something that's on field and off field. So of course you're going to win and lose games, but um, you know you can always the the philosophy behind it is really just to to give your best all the time and. You know, if the team's better than you, they're going to beat you. So that that's fine. But there's a way to do that. Um, it was a really interesting. That was on uh, Saturday afternoon. That was really interesting to go through that. I think the uh, the players will be better for it. And obviously, chemistry on the field is very important to getting uh, wins on the board. How is that coming along? And how did Hobart help sort of bring the group together? Well, it was it was a great weekend. It, it just just that point that you just raised because we did play um, played a little bit of match team and. We trained for maybe half an hour, I think, on the Saturday. Um, but most of it was done to bond the girls together. So a lot of um, exercises to do that. Um, I certainly got to know the players a little bit better, and I think the players got to know the staff a little bit better, which was great. Um, but, yeah, definitely, I, I believe that we got stuff out on the weekend that we'll be able to draw back on um, come games. Now I coach a little bit of junior cricket. And I seem to always God, here we go. <laughs> I seem to always be yelling out the same line to the kids all the time. Is there a part of your message to your team that you just keep harping on about? Is it the contested footy, or is it you know getting that handball overlap or something? Is it what's part of your message that you keep repeating? Yeah, my my big ones are with mistakes because um, I don't mind mistakes as long as it's as long as they train as the way they play. So you want them to train the way they play, but my big one is don't worry about the mistake, it's what you do next that counts. And um, I must say that I reckon I reckon half a dozen times each session. I um, say that to Dave once a week on our radio show, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's different if they make the same mistake all the time. I mean, I'm not saying that, no, but I'm just saying if you make the same mistake, that's no good. But it's, just, it's also just to give confidence to the players that it's okay, it's not Everyone's going to drop marks, and you know, the average the average disposal efficiency is just over fifty percent in AFLW. So about half the time there's going to be a mistake. But the team that usually wins is the one that can hold composure. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of what we're trying to instill with the players. We're chatting with Kangaroos AFLW coach Scott Gowans. Um, speaking about your team and how uh, you'd hope that maybe journalists can describe the Kangaroos in the twenty nineteen season. What sort of what can we expect from your game style? We're trying to we're trying to come up with a, a philosophy of, of taking the game on, and we really want to be able to, I suppose, showcase what we can do, but also help that in you know five, six, seven years time, we can look back and say, you know, we actually had a pretty good style of game that helped grow female footy, and that that's what we want. So, I think you'll find that uh, we've deliberately drafted players to have a very exciting forward line. Um, so we want to go nice and quick, get the ball in there, and create lots of scoring opportunities. Now, Scott, we've mentioned Tasmania a couple of times. Much like, I guess, the Crows have done between Adelaide and Darwin for the last couple of years, you're managing two groups of players, one in Melbourne and one in Tassie. How does that work on a practical level, I guess, with training and games? Yeah, so what we did, we, we got our schedule and um, basically divided it, I suppose, into blocks. Um, so either the way it works out between our first week of training and round one, is on average we're either all down there or the Tassie girls are all up with us every two weeks. So every every two weeks they will see they'll all be together. Um, we have just gone a two and a half week block where we didn't see each other, but this weekend, for instance, they will um, be able to. Obviously, they saw each other, but then again, they're coming down on Thursday night, 
and will spend the weekend with us here in Melbourne. So um, then we break up for Christmas and basically first session back, all the girls are up. And the second two weeks after that, we play Melbourne in a practice match. Um, and then it's round one. So it kind of worked out well from that way. Um, and the other thing, of course, is the weekly contact is um, done through social, or not social media, it's done through, um, um, what's the word? Like the internet, basically. We use a program called Zoom um, where we basically, um, I suppose, interact with our team meetings. So we'll have the girls on online and they can, they can see and hear and we can interact with them in our team meetings. And um, that, that's worked really well, better than I thought it would work, actually. So um, we, we kind of find that distance isn't such a problem. Um, where it does become a bit of an issue, I suppose, is more in that you just want to, um, as a coach, you want to be able to look into their eyes and you know, get some, either, either give the honest feedback or hear the honest feedback coming towards you on the program. Um, doing it through a computer screen not exactly ideal, but it's, it's just the way it is and um, yeah, so far, um, the girls have really found that really beneficial. And I know some of the talk that came out of Adelaide, particularly in season one with their big success and their premiership, was that they sort of put some of that success down to how intense the time was that they got to spend together. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, and that's the big thing. You've got to have, um, and that's that's why I think a lot of my work was done in the first sort of nine months of, of getting employed by North Melbourne was to come up with a way to make every minute meaningful. Um, we put up a slide that at the start in week one that you've only actually got 48 hours on the track to train before round one. So that the time we, we do, everything we do has to be based on time and being really efficient with that time. So the weekend, for instance, um, everything was down to the minute. Um, it, was, it was almost to the sense of being a little bit rushed, I suppose, but we wanted that feeling of... Um, pressure from a clock you know because same thing if you've got two minutes to go you need to score you're under time pressure so all that philosophy about there isn't much time but we need to get everything out of every minute is really important to us and I think players have uh, have handled that and grasped that concept really well. Scott how do you measure success in uh, season one? Yeah interesting question um look we I suppose it comes down to we've just got to control what we can and Again, I fall back to that what I spoke about before with the emotion. You've kind of got to take it out, but you've got to enjoy it at the same time. So it's a really fine balance. But we just got to control what we can control. So what we can control, of course, is our performance. We can't control results. So we need to focus on performance. We need to make sure that you know, we put time and effort into our performance at training and playing, and then the results will take care of themselves. So, so far, I think our performance has been pretty good on the track. So I think we'll do um, we'll do okay, and obviously we're aiming for finals, um, but that's kind of out of our hands, really, with the results. Well, look, we'll definitely be watching the Roos debut season with interest. Best of luck to you and the girls, Scott, and thanks for your time tonight joining us on the bench. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. That was Scott Gowans, Kangaroos AFW coach, and they enter into the AFW for the first time next season. You're listening to the bench on Joy. Cricket team Sydney Sixers involved in the Big Bash League will actively encourage Rainbow families to attend matches this summer and follow Cricket Australia's mantra that the sport is for everyone. And to tell us more, we are joined on the line by General Manager for the Sydney Sixers, Jodie Hawkins. Welcome to the bench. Good evening. How are you? Very good, very good. Just how important is it to ensure the LGBTI community feels safe and comfortable at Big Bash games? 
I think it's vital. And for us, uh, it's something that we probably haven't really looked at before because we might not have necessarily realised. But um, I guess just some of the work that we've been doing recently with the community, we've we've kind of received some feedback that it's not always a welcoming environment and that's, that's not the way we want it to be, certainly with the sixes. And the Big Bash is such a great family product that we really do want it to be for everyone. So it's just something that we decided to focus on, especially over the next few years, uh, to really make sure that the community feels welcome and included within within the cricket family. Well, Jody, we've seen in the past a lot of sporting clubs and associations have run, say, a Pride Day or a Pride Round, and, and you get the sense they thought that was enough to just tick a diversity box. How do the Sixers plan to do things differently? Uh, look, we're looking at it from a grassroots to a to an elite level, um, and it's not a short-term strategy for us. It's really a long-term strategy. So we think in order to make fundamental change, you need to do it from the grassroots up. So, so we're working with clubs uh, to educate them on how to, to work with the LGBT community. Uh, we're running some come-and-try days so that Rainbow Family especially can, can feel... Um, you know, a really safe space for them to for them and their kids to come and try cricket. Um, and we really want to build it into, I guess, what is part of the, the cricket family rather than, I think a lot of other sports do try and create some bespoke programs. But for us, it's really about integrating it into everyday life. It, it, it's part of everyday life, um, you know, and, and this community, we really want to feel included at any level of cricket. And that's from the grassroots all the way through. We're just really conscious of not sticking a rainbow flag on something and saying, job well done. Um, and it's, it's for us, it is a long-term program that we're working on. Now, obviously, you're in your early stages of the program. What has been some of the initial response so far? We actually went to the Rainbow Family Christmas party on Sunday and we were really well received there, um, which was really great. It was good to see, you know, all the kids and the families getting involved in, in cricket um, but I guess the most pleasing part for us has been that uh, our players, both male and female, have been really supportive of it. Um, and that, for me, has been really refreshing. I think, you know, we see a lot of gay women involved in sport, but we see no gay men at the elite level. And that was the kind of the, the big flashpoint for me is that I would really love to see a day where we do see um, gay men playing in the elite level of, of team sport. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, the, the focus for us is making sure that that space is, is comfortable for, for the community, not just not just in the women's space. And with the, with the grassroots level, basically your local clubs, what changes can we expect to see that will encourage uh, our community to get involved in cricket in, in basically any capacity, either a volunteer or a player or a coach? I think it's education. Real, that's really the key for me. I think you know people probably think they're being inclusive um, and not realising that they've they've got a, a, a um, well, an unconscious bias, I guess. Um, so it's really for us the education component is key. We're really encouraging clubs if they do want to get involved. To you know we will put on the education and we're working with you know Ryan Store who who has set up uh, Proud to Play down in Victoria and is now looking at how he can build that program in, in Sydney. So we're working with, with experts who are, who are guiding us in this area. But for me, I really think education is key to make sure that we are being really inclusive. And I think especially in that trans space, there's so much uncertainty in sport. We really want to work with Cricket Australia to ensure that there is certainty, um, but also ensure that, they, that people feel comfortable when they come into a sports environment. We're chatting with General Manager of Cricket Team uh, Sydney Sixers, Jody Hawkins. Now, 
We've seen it in the, in the AFL. There's quite a lot of pride uh, fan-supporting groups. Uh, can we expect to see something similar in the Big Bash space? Uh, yeah, we will. So we're working on a, on a match day element as well. But for me, that's kind of the third piece of, of the puzzle. Um, yes, we're obviously keen to engage um, the community and get a fan group together. Uh, but the most important part for us is to really set a foundation where people feel comfortable involved in cricket. Um, you know, again, it's that it's that not putting the rainbow flag on something and pretending that we're doing a good job. It's making sure that what we do is actually affect real change. So when people come to the ground, um, no matter where they're from, they feel really comfortable in the SCG. They feel really comfortable in and amongst the rest of, uh, you know, every, all the other fans that attend. Um that's probably that first building block that I think we need to get right before we really go down the path of creating big fan groups and that sort of that sort of activity. Jody, what can we expect to see, I guess, publicly from the Sixers? Will there be some social media presence, presence at the ground? What sort of public um, displays, I guess, will, will you be showing of this inclusion? Uh, yeah, so publicly we'll be, you know, reinforcing our messaging. We've, um, you know, every year we get sent through a whole heap of anti-racism uh, and all the other sorts, that sort of messaging that goes around on our big screens for uh, for match days. And this year we're including um, anti-homophobia message- messaging as well, which is really important for us to reinforce. You'll see social media activity. For us it's about inclusiveness. That's, I think, the key word for us. So it's sitting it in and amongst everything else that we do to just, we want it to be the norm. So, um, you know, it will be some social media, it will be some match day activations and it, it will be a range of, um, of activity, including in some of our advertising that we're, um, that we're rolling out as well. And have you had, with, with the, the work that you're doing so far, have you had any LGBT cricket people come forward and, and want to help or have you been speaking with uh, the people that are actually involved in cricket today? Uh, not so much people who are involved in cricket as such, although we have um, we have got a couple uh, of people internally who are helping us in and around our messaging just to make sure that that we're you know that we are being inclusive. The big thing is working with um, community stakeholders. So so Ryan Store and his group at um, at Proud to Play to make sure that we are you know we're we're working I guess with a stakeholder group that's helping guide us in our in the way that we message in the way that we do, gener- uh, I guess, create that inclusiveness in, in what we do. Well, Jody, we're so pleased to hear about what's happened at the Sixers and we really hope that more of the community can get out there and enjoy the great game of cricket. Best of luck for the season ahead and thanks for joining us tonight on the bench. Thanks so much for having me. That was Jody Hawkins, General Manager of Sydney Sixers, who play in the Big Bash League. You're listening to The Bench on Joy. Oh, what a massive show on the bench. Huge. I need an ice bath after that. I know. What a massive hump day. And we deliver all the weekly sports news in one big, massive hour of sport. And you know what? I really do enjoy sitting across from you, Beth. We cover all the big news stories. We talk to all the best people we can possibly talk to. And the three that we talked to tonight, I was really impressed with. I love Corbin's sort of half-glass-full attitude about the the Australian cricket team that head to Perth. You and... Bloody Corbin and bloody Mitch Marsh. You can all just go jump in a lake as far as I'm concerned. I know, I know. We know that the much maligned all-rounder is struggling at the international level, but you know what? The one thing Mitch Marsh has got going for him is his looks. He's a very attractive man. You know, if I had a racehorse, I'd name it Much Maligned Mitch Marsh. (laughs) Much Maligned Mitch Marsh on the outside. Coming around the men and Much Maligned Mitch Marsh wins the 2019 Melbourne Cup. (laughs) And speaking of people that... uh, 
that are not maligned at all. Mm. And according to their strong pre-season, the Kangaroos AFLW coach Scott Gowans reckons they're well and truly on track, and they've I'm added, excited. You know, they're, they're doing great things, and they got their shin bonus spirit. Yep. And Jody Hawkins joined us from the Sydney Six as the general manager to talk about how they want to be more inclusive to our community, the community that tune into Joy every week to listen to us, which is very good news. What a big show, Beck. It's been my pleasure, Dave. Couldn't have done it without you. I probably could have done it without you. <laughs>